Hi, I'm Aya. And I'm Eric. And welcome to 20 Minutes of Darkness. We have a guest here today. And as you know, we're here to talk about the stuff no one wants to talk about openly. But first, I really wanted to quickly speak on why we even started this. The motivation comes from the memory of myself going on Spotify when my mom died and I couldn't connect with anything I listened to. I felt like an alien. I really wanted to hear about other stories and other experiences rather than just talk to someone specifically. I felt more at peace when I just stepped into the darkness. So I was thinking it might help others too. So Eric, why don't you introduce our guest? Absolutely. Our guest today is Sheila Darcy, author, visionary artist, and advocate for mental health. She stands as an intersection of art, tech, and wellness. Plus, one thing we do know about Sheila is that she loves the ocean. So here is Sheila Darcy in one of her favorite places. Sheila, the floor is yours. Oh my goodness. So first of all, thank you both for having me. I have done a number of podcasts, but the title of this 20 minutes of darkness couldn't be more resonant given the last few years that I have been facing. And as Ian knows, Ian and I have known each other for a very long time. She's been an integral part of the sketch poetic community. My relationship with darkness has been at the core of my healing. So this particular experience, Aya, as you were sharing, that sometimes when you're in the darkness, the only thing that can connect you back to humanity is hearing other people's stories. So I have a lot of stories, but the one that I feel is the most relevant for all of us is, this, is the idea of us facing mortality and death. Um, a couple of years ago, somebody I dearly loved uh, was diagnosed with cancer, and the prognosis wasn't ideal. And it came at a time where, when my book was about to launch. And the duality of that did not go unnoticed for me because my life at this point had been this constant duality where I, would, I was unable to sit in the joy of things because there was darkness happening in my life. And I think that's the core of what my healing journey has been about, which is not necessarily always swinging from darkness to light. It's being able to sit in both the darkness and the light. So when you're in the darkness and you're seeking to find that light or you're in the light and understanding that all of it is impermanent. And I think the core of the 20 minutes that I want to focus on is this idea of impermanence. You know, up, into, up until this point, I think I've always had this attachment to things, attachment to trauma, attachment to people, attachment to my experiences. And for a long time, I think I identified myself by those experiences. So when this thing happened where I was faced with somebody I love facing their own mortality, I couldn't help but ask myself, well, what would happen if I were in that position? So not only was I experiencing it as an observer and witness for somebody I loved, but then you're, then you're, you know, anytime in anybody that's ever been with someone in the cancer journey or have been diagnosed with cancer themselves, there's, they call it the big C for a reason. It, it almost feels like you're part of this cloud of energy that everyone, it's so present. It forces you to be so present. And so I just, I share that because it's really important for people to know that oftentimes darkness has this palpable feeling of a fog. I have always called it a fog and, and you're in this fog and you feel moments of sadness and some moments you feel despair. And sometimes you don't even know how long that fog's going to be. And then that's when you kind of spiral into this, right, what I call right. worst case scenario right. uh, situation. So, you know, I, I, I want to pause there because I think that's part of the, 
challenge of being in the darkness is that inability right. to see the end of it, right? Because you don't know how long it's going to last. So then when you're in it, you're so grasping to find the way through it that you forget that oftentimes if you can just sit in it in the moments of darkness and be able to find some peace, and I know that sounds really impossible, but I was able to navigate that, and I'll share how I did that. I'm also curious, and just to before you share that, which I really want to know, you were talking about balancing light and dark. And to me, I like when I'm in the dark, there's no light. So I was curious, what do you mean by balancing yeah. light and dark? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Well, listen, I'm, it's, it's kind of a, for me, when I share the darkness and light, I, Aya, is that that's pretty much where the big aha for me was in my healing journey. I spent my entire life suppressing the darkness, suppressing the shadows, because I thought if I were to not look at it, to not face it, I wouldn't feel it. So it's not going to shock you because you know me that everything's about the feeling of it. So when I say I'm striking the balance between darkness and light, I can feel despair and, and scared and fear, but also feel gratitude that I have them in this moment, in this time. I can also feel um, frustration and anger that this is happening to me, but I can also enjoy right. the fact that my book just launched. And so I was forced to actually, because when my book launched, I was giving birth to something that was really important to me. At the same time, I was facing mortality with somebody I loved. And so I had to, I was actually for, and I do believe that was not an accident because I was, I learned so much from it, Aya, that I was forced to see two things that were so important to me, literally being birthed and facing death at the same time. Like that's powerful. So everything was by design. Everything's by design, and that's what I mean by that. Like, there is duality in everything. And I, and I often tell people when you're feeling joy, it's, it's quite common for people to feel fear that that joy is not going to last, so they don't even feel it. Right? It's like, oh, you know, I've had such a traumatic life. This joy is fleeting, right. so why even feel it? So they push it away. That's what I mean by duality. And vice versa, I think everyone's more in, com- more in touch and more understanding that when somebody's tra- in trauma or are in their darkness or de- severe depression that they can't feel joy. But oftentimes people forget it's the other way around. When you've been traumatized or you've had a very challenging, difficult life, the idea of happiness feels so fleeting and, and scary to feel it and then lose it. That feeling of losing it again, that scares people more than anything. So then they don't even want to feel it, right? They push it away. It's easier sometimes to sit in the darkness. Honestly, it sounds weird to say that, but oftentimes people that have been in the dark for so long, that's comfortable. It's more tangible. It's yeah. familiar. And yeah. It's familiar. You know, in, in, the, in the spaces I've worked in with traumatized populations, like homeless youth, incarcerated men and women, trauma is literally their mm-hmm. normal. So familiarity, you cannot discount familiarity and comfort to people. They, they, they're one and the same. It doesn't mean it's healthy. Mm-hmm. It just, it's familiar. It's what they know. So at first, I was taking it all in as if, like, wow, that's a different way to deal with things. But now that we're speaking out loud, like, hey, it's familiar, it's familiar. And I look at myself back in trauma that I've had or even other individuals that that I know that deal with trauma, it's similar. It's easier to sit in that darkness than to move forward and try to enjoy anything else. Because it's predictable. Just that predictability. I think my entire journey, Eric, has been about finding safety. And because my life was so volatile, so this was yet another example, you know, I started to find peace in my life again, and then the bottom dropped. Yeah. 
unexpectedly, by the way, I wasn't expecting this bottom to drop. And so I could have leaned into, well, great, such as life, God is against me and all the ways that we tend to react when things go bad. is like, why is this happening to me, not for me? So the first thing I did is asked, this is happening for me because I genuinely do believe that I'm being divinely guided and that I'm on a spiritual path. So everything that happens, whether it's minutia of the day or these big moments of mortality and facing death, they're one and the same to me. And that's the reason I'm able to move through life because I don't, I'm not big about um, waiting things anymore. I used to wait things like this is more important. This is less important. This is a ex- much more meaningful experience and this is less of an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, when I, was, uh, when I was facing that news about this person that I love going through the cancer journey, the first thing I did is go to the beach. And I live near the beach. Mm-hmm. I've lived near the beach for 20 years, I and Eric. Never once did I feel the call to the beach the way I did that day. And I can say since that day, and it's been almost two years, over two years, I've been walking five days a week. It's become my, my transcendental place where I'm able to feel it all. So everything that I talk about is about feeling. Because when you're in the darkness, your body is trying to protect right. you and it wants to shut down. It wants to disconnect. It wants to disassociate. It wants to, right. it wants to just not feel. And so to me, the healing in the moment is when you can allow yourself as uncomfortable as it is to feel it all. And if you're watching somebody you love facing that, it is an intense experience. I mean, I, uh, you know, as you, as you've talked in the past, it's just an intent, there's an intensity about it, but there's a beauty in that intensity. Like you're alive, like in, in every sense of the word, your cells feel everything that's happening. It's so palpable. It just, it's almost like you're suddenly amplified right your sensory experience you can taste more you can taste things more uh more more meaningfully you can smell things you can hear things and it's because you've been forced to see life and death and what 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 can you know what can wake you up faster than that i i've heard a lot of people talk about their relationship with death and a lot of the i've heard a lot about being scared of being alone being scared of (laughs) that's a big one i was curious uh, is that is any of that did yes. that ever come that was across a big one head? that was actually a that was a really big one for me and i i realized in, in hindsight i've i was i've only really ever had a very short period of time that i was alone and i put that in quotes so from high school i, I moved out and i had a roommate mm-hmm. and then i had a boyfriend and then i moved to la and had another roommate and then i met my husband mm-hmm. So I've genuinely not really been alone in the house for long periods of time. And so there was this reality. And even when my daughter, I'm, I'm almost an empty nester, she's moving to college. And so, yeah, a part of it is becoming, you know, in the middle age, when you start to face like everyone around you is starting to get ill, starting to pass at our age already, which is really tragic that so many of us are losing loved ones at such a young age. Um, Loneliness, I, I think, was the one thing that I had to reckon with. If there was one thing I took away from the healing journey, is what you just pointedly asked me, is I had to make peace with the idea that while I have a tribe and community, that I genuinely have to walk this path alone and facing my own mortality. And that's where this, I did an pro- art project called Impermanence. And I, I, I sketched on, a, on an urn and we burned this piece of, uh, I did a painting and I burnt it to represent that impermanence. Like we can get attached to that painting 
but when it burns, that painting is still alive with you, right? And so that was really the message I was trying to say. And yeah, so I think the idea of being alone is such a big fear for a lot of us because what does it mean? I think that's one of my biggest fears of my mother is to die alone. Like basically not nobody being there when, when she passes. Like that's a, like it brings her complete panic when, when she thinks about it. And I'm sure if I hadn't had this reckoning, I, I probably would have had a similar experience. I probably would have had created a lot of panic for myself, thinking I would die alone. I want to dig a little bit deeper. For me personally, um, I remember just like the trajectory of emotions that kind of went through, that I went through when my mom was sick and just finding out at first and the sort of pretending that it wasn't there. Um, there was just a lot. I was curious if you could walk us through kind of your, your kind of journey of, uh, yeah, the emotional journey. There was a lot. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is shock. Yeah. I was in shock, complete disbelief. But then I quickly moved to fear, like fear, like, whoa, what? And then I got into action mode of wanting to fix it and trying to, you know, like, this is my personality. Like I'm going to be optimistic and not sit in that. But at the same time, I was also angry Mm -hmm. because my book was launching and I thought, why now? Why this? Why me? I had that pity. Um, And then after that, I moved through um, really wanting to use my gift to help this person heal. So then I became compassionate, empathetic, like I always do. That's where I go. But I did it with this, with the desire to connect in a way that I'd never connected before. And so for a long time, I was doing the work to heal myself. But now I had a reason to want to help someone heal them, mm-hmm. right? And so I, my art shifted, my presence of mind shifted. So I became really present. And I think where, where it ended, and it's an ebb and flow, like grief, it's an ebb and flow. Like I, I would ebb and flow. Like as we went through the cancer journey and they went through their treatments, I went from, again, fear to, you know, waiting for the results and then, you know, and seeing the person that you love is getting sick from all of the treatments and just this constant, like, oh, this back and forth of uncertainty, right? And so you have this through line of uncertainty, this through line of optimism that you know that you have hope that they will get through it. And I did, I had a mate, I had really strong belief, I am not shocking, but I had a really strong belief that they would get through it no matter what the diagnosis was. And then I also had this deep, deep, deep sadness and anger and fear. So it was happening in parallel, but one would ebb and flow to the surface on different days, depending on where the other person was, actually. Because sometimes uh, where they were, like if I felt like they were in a good place, it let me let go. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I'm always trying to be strong and trying to be a rock. And so sometimes it's not just yourself and whether you can give yourself permission because I give myself permission to feel all the time but if you're trying to be a rock for someone then you have to watch them almost give you permission to let go because they're in a better place about it so it's this dance that you're doing I do think of it as a dance Uh, but yeah there was a lot of loopity loops (laughs) of emotions I'm sure you can relate yeah for sure I was curious too did you have anyone who you could go to and talk to and through that time did you or do you think yeah, that's I important did. to have someone like that oh it's, it's utmost importance i can't imagine facing what i did without uh, without talking to someone and i had different pockets of people that i talked to i would talk to people that had gone through cancer mm-hmm. or had loved one go through cancer so i would go there for just empathy 
and compassion and sympathy and understanding. And then I would go to friends that uh, were obsessed about wellness on both the Eastern and Western side, because, you know, when one thing that you do for people that have been through this journey, especially depending on the stage on which they're at, uh, the idea of Eastern medicine and Western medicine comes to the table, especially for someone like me that believes in holistic health. Mm-hmm. And so I had people that I talked to about, well, did you do radiation? Did you do chemo? Did you do surgeries? What was the, you know, all of the things that could happen. And then I went and pursued breath work and light therapy and, you know, Reiki. And I mean, I, th- <laughs> I threw everything under the kitchen sink. I mean, I even did crystals. I did everything because mm-hmm. I was open to it all. And so every person I talked to, um, the best way I can put it is you're trying to make sense of it all when it doesn't make sense. So every person I was talking to was almost giving me shape to what I was trying to hold, right? Because I didn't know the shape of what I was holding. What, like, was it a shape of death? Was it a shape of healing? Was it a shape of um, my art evolving? Like, there was many different ways I could take this experience, right, and, and make it mine. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't me going through the, the journey. It was somebody I loved. But somehow I knew I was going through it for them and with them for a reason. So I want to circle back to what you were talking about, your methods about when you're in the darkness and kind of facing it and that sort of process. Well, I was going to talk about my beach walks. Interestingly enough, it wasn't really a method. I have to say I've been to become a huge proponent of walking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, I've known about walking forever. I've done, I've walked but there's a book I recently re- read by um, Ralph. Uh, it was a, was it Ralph? Yeah, Ralph Waldo Emerson, I believe, and it was uh, about walking versus wandering. And I even wrote a little blog post about it. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between walking with intention and wandering, which is where you you, you walk without knowing where you're going to go. And the first time I did the beach walk, while I had a point to go to, I really didn't know what I was doing. I was just mostly wandering. And so one of the methods that I recommend if somebody is in the darkness is to mirror that experience in the re- in the na- in, with nature. And so what was happening, and I didn't know this at the time, I, I was super unconscious and subconscious, is I was in a situation where I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the severity of what we were about to experience. All I knew was complete and utter fear that I was facing this with this person. And so going to the beach made me feel two things. It made me feel held because nature holds you in the space that you're in. Um, whether you're conscious of it or not, it's, it, it's, it's holding you. So I felt held by the experience, but I was also alone. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's this beautiful dichotomy of being feeling held by nature, but being completely alone in it. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when you're facing death mm-hmm. is you you're held by your spirit to know that this is all happening to you. So this is unseen help being held by something unseen, but yet you're also facing it alone. So yeah. the entire time I'm walking, Aya, I was walking through every worst case. I mean, I, it brings tears to my eyes thinking about it, but every scenario I could think of that was the worst case, I was thinking through that entire walk. I was crying. I even screamed at the, the way like, why? Like I could oh, see so just bubbles up like, why? Like, why? Like, it's just, why? You know, and that question of why with the pain and all the fear, it's still a why. It's a question. Mm-hmm. I didn't have an answer. And so I think the beautiful thing about nature, as we face these, this atmospheric river we just had with 
with LA is it's unpredictable. There's, you know, the media and society portrays us that this is doom and gloom, but until you go through the storm, you don't know how bad it's really going to be. So why do we put ourselves in this like position of anxiety and fear when at the end of it, it was all fine. And oftentimes, yeah. by the way, our worst case scenario never, ever plays out. Never. But yet we put our body in such strain because in, in, the, in the space of psychology and trauma uh, work, they will tell you that it doesn't matter if you're experiencing it. The sheer thought of it creates that fear in your body. So you're actually activating all the things that that you would do if you were in the actual experience. And this is what we do in this world, right? Is we put ourselves in this darkness all the time. And then our bodies are the things that get punished. So my practice, I would normally be promoting sketch poetic and sketching. And I still do that every day. I still express. And But I think for me, and I have to be just brutally honest in that time, the last thing I wanted to do was sketch in that moment. Yeah. I just wanted to get out in the world and scream at the world. Mm-hmm. And, and the beach just happened to call me. Uh, there and I think I just have such a strong intuitive guide that that's what I knew I had to do. So nature for me has become, wow, it's become transcendent for me. Like I don't care if you live in the urban environment, like if you live in the middle of Chicago or New York City or wherever. Walk around and wander and let yourself just get lost because that's how it feels when you're in darkness. Yeah, yeah. You're fucking lost. <laughs> I mean, I have to say F because that's how it feels. It feels incredibly disorienting. 